are going to pick up sort of where we left off last week, uh, talking about uh, forgiveness. Now, I know once upon a time I'd said we were going to do uh, theology of forgiveness and go straight into a theology of repentance, but I've thought better of that plan. So we're going to do something slightly different. But before we do that, let's pray. Uh, Please pray with me. Uh, Lord, uh, we thank you that you are a God that is full of both justice and mercy, uh, forgiving the iniquity and transgressions uh, of your people who turn to you in repentance. Uh, We ask that you would show us what it means that we are forgiven so that we can truly forgive those who have sinned against us uh, and also begin to walk in repentance in our own lives uh, where we have sinned against others and against you. Uh, Holy Spirit, help us figure all that out as we consider uh, your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to make a point that there is a tie between uh, forgiveness and repentance. But uh, rather than doing a theology of uh, forgiveness and then a theology of repentance and then going into how-to's, uh, instead, I'm just going to keep going right on into the how-to of forgiveness stuff and then come around to repentance next week and then start drawing all those themes together because I'm dealing with the nexus that is uh, the complicated issues to do with both of those things. Uh, but every week as we get started, I want to look at our uh, this verse as sort of something I want us to be memorizing. It's short, sweet, and to the point. Uh, when it comes to forgiveness, and that is Ephesians 4.32, we are to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So let's all say that together, and then you can memorize it throughout the week. Uh, Ephesians 4.32, let's say that together. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 4.32. Uh, all right, so you remember last week we were really just talking about the theology, uh, you know, what is forgiveness? And this week I'm trying to move a little bit more into actually knowing what to do with forgiveness. So actually talking about application. Uh, what does it mean to forgive someone and how do I do that? Uh, because we said last week, well, forgiveness is not something easy. Uh, certainly forgiveness is a decision, and certainly forgiveness is a, an action we can do, but it's not something that we just do willy-nilly. Uh, it's not something that doesn't have its complications, right? Uh, forgiveness uh, is, first of all, well, what is forgiveness? Well, forgiveness is not a feeling, nor is forgiveness forgetting, nor is it excusing sin, right? So, Forgive and forget is not a thing. What else did we say about forgiveness last week? It's a process. Uh, Yeah. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. So forgiveness is a decision. Uh, You cannot forgive by yourself. Uh, You must be empowered and, and inspired by the cross. And so there's a very, uh, I was actually reading this uh, John Hopkins article on forgiveness this week, and right, it's from this medical perspective, but even as I read it, I, I was just going, wow, forgiveness as, as we conceive of it, forgiveness as the Bible talks about it, is actually not even possible for the non-Christian. So, Non-Christians can only participate in forgiveness to a point, which is part of why non-Christians only have a limited amount of healing available in their lives. Uh, And then, of course, I said, first and foremost, at a baseline, forgiveness is debt forgiveness. Um, at, At the end of the day, forgiveness is going, you owe me this because of the way you've sinned against me, but I am not going to make you pay it. 
right? Forgiveness at its root is debt forgiveness. So forgiveness is a process. Uh, forgiveness is not reconciliation. Uh, but the big deal that we need to understand is that forgiveness is not forgetting or excusing or having good fuzzy feelings. Forgiveness is debt forgiveness. Choosing to not call the bill due. Uh, any other thoughts from last week? Yeah, if you think yeah, that's if you think you deserve forgiveness, you are not a Christian or if you are, you're a Christian with a wild misunderstanding of Christianity such that I couldn't let you be a member of our church in good standing, uh, right? We do not deserve forgiveness. That is and, and right, those who do not understand the gospel are going to say, "Well, that's so what a downer. You don't think you deserve forgiveness? You think people are that bad? And the answer is yes, I do think people, including myself, are that bad. That's why God had to die on a cross. Don't, right? I'm not a modalist, but I'm making a point here, right? Jesus died on the cross uh, for our sins, right? The Son of God had to die for us. That's how bad we are. And so, uh, that has two implications. One, we're all way worse than we think we are. Sorry, self-esteem movement. Uh, but second, uh, everyone, we should never be shocked by sin in ourselves or in others. And in fact, often when people are like, I just can't believe this person sinned this way, I get it. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, they're sinners. We are sinners. You know, we got to... We, we can't be too shocked by our sin. Uh, and, and that's why C.S. Lewis wrote about forgiveness uh, in Reflections on the Psalms. There's just no use in talking as if forgiveness were easy. We all know the old joke. You've given up smoking once, I've given it up a dozen times. In the same way, I could say of a certain man, have I forgiven him for what he did that day? I've forgiven him more times than I can count. For we find that the work of forgiveness has to be done over and over again. We forgive. We mortify our resentment. And a week later, some chain of thoughts carries us back to the original offense. And we discover the old resentment blazing away as if nothing had been done about it at all. We need to forgive our brother 70 times 7, not only for 490 offenses, but for one offense right and so he's saying just dealing with one thing can take a really long time forgiveness is a process so before we get into the hows i do want to finish some of the things we were going to mention last week about the what i call the complexities of forgiveness right because so many people that there's always two dangers in most christian things Danger number one is making things too simple. Well, Christianity is just easy. You should just get this. Uh, all these things, you should just know it, believe it, and do it. That's all there is to it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, forget that mess. That's not how it is. But on the flip side, some people are like, everything about Christianity is just so complicated. How do you figure anything out? Well, I mean, welcome to life, first of all, sorry. <laughs> that can be a rude awakening for people. But actually, there are some things where it's like, well, no, the, we have some codified things that we can figure out. So we don't want to fall off on either side. We don't want to make it so overcomplicated we can't do anything. But we don't want to make it sound like because it's so simple, it's therefore easy and everyone should be able to do it. Um, life is complicated. So let's finish talking about some of the complexities of forgiveness that will come out even more as we get into the hows of forgiveness. One of the very first things we need to do when we talk about forgiving people is we need to discern what is sin and what is not sin. Right? So um, if I were drinking my coffee that I don't have in my hand for some reason, uh, which means I'm probably liable to sin before this is all said and done because coffee is a necessity. Um, 
if I were to, you know, be talking and I talked like this and I sloshed some on Stephanie, that would be terrible because she would have horrible second degree burns because I drink hot coffee. But that's not necessarily sin, right? It's me being stupid and careless. And maybe, it has, maybe that has its roots in some sort of sin, but the spilling of the coffee in of itself is not sin. On the other hand, if I walk up to Phil and throw the coffee in his face because I don't like the way he looks, uh, that would be sin. That would be a personal offense against him. right? And so we, we don't forgive, per se, people who have not sinned against us. Now, we might say things like, I, you know, I apologize, I'm sorry about that. But that's not actually asking for forgiveness. That's just saying, hey, I made a mistake, I messed up, but it wasn't a sinful mistake. The reason that's important is because we need to understand that sometimes, first of all, it helps us show more grace. Because we don't treat every little mistake like a sin. Uh, but also if we do treat every little mistake as though it were a sin, we're going to create this profound, unbalanced system uh, of relationships that won't lead to gospel-centered, grace-centered interactions with one another. Instead, we're going to be making people trying to pay a pound of flesh through sort of false repentance. Uh, And so that's not going to work. But second, uh, CJ is not here this week, but... You know, she asked, uh, are there some sins that are worse than others? Uh, To which our uh, confession and catechism say yes. Uh, Some sins by reason of various aggravations are more heinous in the sight of God than others. Which means yes, some sins are worse than others. Um, Sorry all the churches that teach that all sins are the same. That's not what the Bible says. Uh, Murder is worse than than spitting in someone's face. Both are a form of murder, but one will send you to jail and one will not. Now, they might both have the same root in the heart that needs to be dealt with, don't get me wrong, but that's for the counseling room. Uh, As far as the judgment throne of God goes, while both are punishable by eternal separation from him because they're murder in the heart, one actually ended in killing someone The other one just ended in spittle on the face. So both sins, all sin is heinous, definitely different degrees of sin. Uh, But what's more, especially when we start talking about big sins and little sins, is with little sins, the Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 19, verse 11. Right? And so there's, there's actually wisdom in not necessarily confronting someone about every single sin you see in their lives. I mean, frankly, if Caitlin had to confront me about every single sin she saw in my life, and I'm sure she sees plenty, we'd never make it out the door in the morning because I'm a wild sinner. Um... Ask Caitlin, she'll tell you. Right? Uh, But what's more, in the New Testament as well, we get things like 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, which says, Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful, which is a weird way of translating a Greek phrase that should really come out as, and does not count up wrongdoing. Uh, And similarly, 1 Peter 4, verse 8 Uh, where Peter writes, and we had a sermon about this like in the last year, above all, keep keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, none of these things is saying we don't take sins seriously. And none of these things is saying, well, as long as it's just little sins, we don't ever have to deal with it. Right? So this... That's why I said these are complexity issues. Certainly if there's a pattern of sin that is slowly wreaking havoc in someone's life, there is going to be an appropriate time to have a conversation about that. But every single little thing that comes up that is rooted in that 
if you just confront it every single time, every minute it comes up, you're, you're not going to have a practical, a practicable relationship with people. Um, I, again, I, I'm just thinking about marriage, but with anyone, right? You cannot have a working relationship if you have to confront someone every time they do a, a little thing. Sometimes it is grace when someone snaps at you just say, you know what, they're having a bad day and they probably know it and, and I'm just going to let it be. Right? That There is real wisdom in just letting it go a lot of times. Now again, if there's a pattern and no repentance there, right, then we may have a conversation at some point. But that's where wisdom comes in. Uh, but, uh, you know, if someone has big sins... I mean, depending on how big it is and if it breaks state law, you may need to call the police in love, right? If you know someone has abused someone or murdered someone or stolen large amounts of money, it is utterly loving and gracious to turn those people in. Because even though we might forgive them, and if they are in Christ, God will forgive them, there are nonetheless real consequences for those things. Right? And so you see why the, you know, figuring out big versus little sin, figuring out real sin versus mistake, really changes how we respond to things. And so we need to be discerning about those things. Well, how do we discern those things? Well, that's a whole, like, graduate course in counseling. So uh, we'll talk about that a little. Uh, but, you know, little sins are nuisance sins without a lot of consequences. Now, again, still huge eternal consequences, right? Uh, there is no sin so small that it does not separate us eternally from God, the Catechism rightly says. So little sins are still significant, but they are nonetheless of a very different caliber uh, of some sins that we may need to confront right away when they happen. Uh, and we're going to revisit all these ideas and expand on them more so stay tuned but uh, any burning questions or things you need think we need to talk about right now before we move on please yes Right, yeah, and, and, you know, no matter what, so a buddy of mine called me from prison this week, which was disappointing since I thought I had worked with him to a point where he was not going to go to prison, and one of the things I had to talk with him about on the phone was that despite what he's done, and he is going to be in prison for a while for it, uh, Jesus is still for him. Christ died even for the crazy things, is the word I'll use, that he did. And if he truly believes in Jesus and is repentant of his sin, and, I mean, I, only the Lord knows his heart, but I have reasons to believe that despite him screwing up again, he wants to be repentant and is on that journey, right? Jesus will forgive him. And he'll forgive you too for whatever you have done. Uh, and he forgives anyone that repents and believes. So, uh, any other thoughts before we carry on? All right. So, before we get into the hows of forgiveness, let's talk a little bit about the goals of forgiveness. So, sort of in order from what we might call the easiest goals to the harder or more complicated goals... Uh, when we are forgiving people, we are forgiving them to... What is the chief end of forgiveness? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. A few of you have caught on to this. So anytime we ask some variation on what is the chief end of, the answer is to glorify God and enjoy Him, or possibly by enjoying Him forever. 
So, what is the chief end of forgiveness? Yeah, so, so that's what we might call the easiest one, because hopefully as you are experiencing forgiveness, you're going, thank you, Lord, you have forgiven even this. Right? So that's pretty easy, because you're just relishing in the fact that you're forgiven, and you don't have to go to hell for eternity. I feel like that's a good deal, right? I do nothing, God gives me heaven. I screw up, God still loves me. This is a great economy for me. Because I am a great sinner, and he is a great God. Um, all right? Second sort of goal is right relationship with God. Yes, forgiving other people is about having a right relationship with God. Uh, both, so I would say, certainly, right, we aren't justified by forgiving other people. But we are certainly grow in our assurance of salvation by forgiving other people. Because we're going, yeah, God's forgiveness is really getting into my heart. And so I am able to forgive this person that has hurt me so terribly. And I mean, Jesus did put it in pretty stark terms. uh, If you forgive, you will be forgiven. But if you will not forgive, you will not be forgiven. That's what he said. Um, But, you know, certainly experientially, as we forgive someone else, we're we're only able to forgive as we understand our own forgiveness. And so forgiving someone is a part of understanding and experiencing our own forgiveness all the more deeply. Because as we forgive someone, we understand all the more how much we have been forgiven. But what is more? And this is why I was reading the John Hopkins uh, article. There even secular science who does not understand uh, the gospel necessarily agrees that forgiving people is good for our health. Right? There's all these studies, and I'd read them before, but it's always good to refresh yourself, about how forgiving people relieves stress and lowers blood pressure. Uh, I'm sure uh, Bill... Uh, and Hal can both attest to the fact that there's a lot of for, there's a lot of healing as we forgive people. A lot of our own personal healing has to do with forgiving those who have sinned against us. Uh, and then, of course, uh, one of the big deal things that can often be a result of forgiving people is restoration of relationship. Although, remember, we said. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. So this can be complicated, and it is, off, I mean, it really is, especially with big sins, dependent on repentance. Um, so restoration of relationship can get complicated in a hurry, and total reconciliation, especially when it comes to big sins that have a lot of consequences, is dependent on their repentance. Uh, so, you know, as the DACA report, that's that thing I pointed to last week, our domestic abuse uh, and child abuse report that our denomination did, scripture is clear regarding reconciliation. It is, uh, reconciliation is conditional on true repentance. So those are just, I'm sure this is not an exhaustive list, but that, that is the goal of forgiveness. These are reasons we want to be uh, forgiving. Our God is forgiving. We want to be like him. We want to see healing in our own personal lives and restoration in our relationships, all because all of those things are glorifying to God. Uh, any other thoughts about the goals of forgiveness? So, for those of you who were in this class when I did this lecture like two months ago, three months ago, whenever it was, uh, I had this thing that I call the forgiveness cycle. Now, uh, I I came up with this, but it's very much based on work done by Dr. Dan Allender, who's a counselor up in uh, Seattle, Washington, who I've read everything he's ever written because I think he's a genius. And it's uh, based on some exegesis 
of Ephesians 4, verses 25 through 32. So if anyone could turn to Ephesians 4, 25 through 32 real quick, I would love for someone to very loudly read that. Just go for it. And people listening to the recording, hopefully you read that as well. Um, So, uh, I have put on all the tables uh, a nice take-home of this uh, forgiveness cycle for you. Now, right, it's, I I understand it looks like kind of gobbledygook, but I think when I walk you through it, it'll make sense to you, and you'll see why I've sort of done it as I have. Uh, As... As it is, uh, let me just give you sort of what I call the six steps uh, of the forgiveness cycle, and then we will start walking through each of these steps. And what's going to be different about this from the last time I taught on it is we are going to do a much deeper dive uh, than we did last time. But essentially, the the six steps are the six steps to forgiving someone, right? Acknowledge the way you've been sinned against. Acknowledge the damage done to you, to your soul, by their sin, and take an account of the price they owe. You cannot forgive someone until you know just how much they owe you for the way they've sinned against you. Then, and this is the one that's counterintuitive, confess your sins that have come out of that damage and repent of those sins so you can see why we're gonna have to talk about repentance Uh, it's a whole step of forgiving then and this is a complex complicated thing that right this, this is not like a do these six steps in this order and you'll have forgiven someone this is a oh I'm on step one and step three and step two and step four and step one and step five and step one and step three and step one and step six and step two right this is a It's not a perfect cycle, okay? So, find healing for your soul from Jesus as you confess, repent, process, and begin to own the debt owed to you. And then finally, release those debts and reconcile, if possible. So, forgiving is always possible. Reconciling, not so much. So, step number one in forgiving someone, acknowledge the ways you have been sinned against. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Right now we know he's on his way to talking about forgiving someone. So this is just talking openly about what's going on in someone's life, and what's going on in your life, and in your interactions. Right? It's why in Matthew 18, verse 15, uh, one of the very first steps in reconciliation is to go, if, if you see your brother sinning, go and confront him between you and him alone. Right? It's open talk about the sin you see. Uh, and so there is something good and right in talking to someone. Now, be warned, when you go, you need to, A, have taken the log out of your own eye before you deal with the speck in their eye, and you need to always correct with gentleness, lest you too be tempted. Uh, That's Galatians 6.1, which we'll talk more about. But there's something good and right about just talking about the ways you've been sinned against. Now, in this step, this is not Matthew 18 that I'm working through, right? 
This uh, is actually just talking about acknowledging it to yourself and God. You're not ready to go talk with them yet. Because you don't have a forgiving heart at this point. But acknowledging <clears throat> that the ways you've been sinned against. Name the ways you've been hurt by people specifically. Name the people that hurt you and the ways they hurt you. That is the first step to forgiving someone. Right? Because when they sinned against you, it was sin. And it needs to be called out, at least to yourself and God, if not to them, when we get to the reconciliation phase. And when you have named the way they've sinned against you, go ahead and be angry about it. Because anger is good. Right? Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give uh, to give uh, opportunity to the devil. Right? Now that, so many people think that is a literalistic, don't go to bed angry now. Whereas sometimes when you're super angry, you're maybe hangry and sleep deprived, so you need to eat a snack and take a nap, and then you can move on, Okay? Sometimes it is very appropriate to go to bed angry. This is a proverb, not a literalistic instruction. It's talking about don't let anger fester forever. Deal with it in a timely manner. Not a literalistic don't go to bed while you're mad. Sometimes you do need to go to bed while you're mad, and after eight hours of sleep, eat breakfast, and you'll be fine. Um, So there. Uh, Yeah, so, but you have to get, you have to, you have to get angry. If someone is, now I'm not saying you have to get super angry. I'm not saying you have to get break stuff and yell at people angry. In fact, that's probably sinning. That that would be being angry and sinning if you're at the breaking stuff and yelling phase. But you need to be angry at least a little bit when someone sins against you. Because evil has been done. don't go to the couch angry even though Janita threw you there (laughs) he knows something about that (laughs) alright so uh, we, we, we have to name sins against us specifically forgive to forgive because we cannot forgive a debt we've not taken account of uh, for those of is it, are any of you guys actually accountants? None of you? All right, well, as a guy who's also not an accountant, I assume it is really hard to, like, calculate debt levels and, and figure out what payments need to be made if you haven't actually added up the numbers. That seems reasonable to me. Well, the same thing works with sin and emotions. Um, you have to do some calculating as to what is owed before you can figure out the payment that needs to be made or forgiven. So uh, just as, and also as people need to repent specifically, and by the way, you do need to repent specifically of specific sins. Um, That's straight out of the confession, but it's also, yes, we need to repent specifically of specific sins. We need to forgive specific sins Specifically. Now, someone's inevitably going to ask, what if I can't name all the sins? Okay, person who takes things way too literalistically. I I get it. Sometimes we can't make the full list. If you can't remember it, you've probably worked through it in ways you didn't even realize, so move on. Um, Sorry, you guys know I used to teach this to, like, alcoholics and addicts that were jerks and tried to poke a hole in everything I ever said. So I got really skilled at plugging every single hole. So I'm doing that to you. I'm sorry. I just, I'm having flashbacks as I teach this material, okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, uh, yes. Uh, obviously, if you can't remember the sin you need to forgive, don't worry about it, all right? But emotions, like anger are neither good nor bad. Reformed people, hear me. 
emotions are neither good nor bad. They just are. So let it go. Emotions like anger or anything else are neither good nor bad. Emotions are signals, okay? They are yellow lights. They're red lights. They're flashing alert lights. They're soothing green lights. I'm partial to blue myself. But, right, emotions are signals. And so we don't judge our emotions in thinking they're good or bad. We ask ourselves, why am I having this emotion? Where is this emotion coming from? Uh, Is it, right? Sometimes we're angry because evil has happened and it is right to be angry. And sometimes we have good feelings because our wife kissed us on the cheek and she's lovely. And sometimes we feel triumphant because we won a board game and that's fun, right? At least those are, those are my, that's my whole range of emotions right there. Anger, feeling good, and triumphant. That's all I got. Right, but so emotions are not something we judge. Emotions are something that we go, hmm, where is that coming from? They are meant to be, help us figure out what is going on. They can alert us that bad things are happening. Uh, or they give us signals that, you know what, this is actually good in the way it's supposed to be. Or sometimes we'll have a cognitive recognition that, oh, wait a minute, I feel good about this, but I know it's sin. Even that's a signal. Oh, there is a deep sin in my heart that cherishes something that is bad. Don't raise your hand for this. Men, any of y'all ever looked at porn and felt pretty good afterwards? Some of you have. Because you cherished something good and something evil simultaneously in your heart. Right? Something good. Love, physical affection, pleasure. Something evil, sex outside of marriage, uh, objectifying women, right? So the emotion, you can pair with something cognitive and go, oh, you can actually realize there's a deeper sin in your heart through that emotional experience, right? So emotions act as signals that we can then reflect on if we feel there's something that needs some reflection, But we know that anger is not wrong because God gets angry, right? Numbers 32, 13, the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel. And in his anger, he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So apparently it is not sinful to get angry and enact consequences or God is a sinner. So we need to rewrite some evangelical scripts. Apparently there is a place to get angry and enact consequences. Jesus, Mark 3, verse 5, looked around at the Pharisees with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Right? Jesus was angry at their lack of compassion. And it was good and righteous. And so it is right to be angry when we see people's lack of compassion or other things. Uh, All of our emotions, I'm just talking about anger because it has to do with forgiveness, but our emotions are neither good nor bad. Our emotions are signals that we then need to learn to interpret. That, again, is a whole, like, I got three whole books on this, right? Like, big, thick ones, too. So, we could talk about this in in a whole other class. Um, I already did God Gets Angry About Stuff. Okay, so that, that is... Uh, step one, acknowledge the ways you've been sinned against. Uh, that is step one to forgiving. Any other thoughts or questions about that before we go on to step two? Nope. Okay. Oh, please let me go to the next slide. Oh, this is as painful for me as it is for you. Okay. Second, acknowledge the damage done to your soul by sin. Right? So, so this is closely related. We're, we're not only acknowledging the sin, we're taking account of the price owed to us. This person sinned against me this way. What price would they need to pay 
to make this right wrong. Wait, to make this wrong right. Sorry. What price would this person need to pay to make this wrong right? What would they have to do? What price would they have to have paid if the gospel is not true and people just have to make their own wrongs right? We actually need to ask that question. Right, we talked about last week. Uh, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth is the biblical justice ethic. Now, it is mitigated by the gospel and God's grace and mercy, but we have to start with the baseline ethic, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for a life, hand for a hand, and go from there. So, we have to take account of the price they would owe to make right what they made wrong, and, and Figure it out. Come up with something. Some price they ought to have to pay for what they've done if you were to actually ask yourself, what if they did it? What if they paid it? I would actually receive them all the way back in as though they had never done wrong. And by the way, you're probably going to name something pretty extreme, especially if their sin against you was extreme. That's okay. That extreme price is probably what they owe. Our sin is really, really bad, guys. And so, is it, and so it is when people sin against us. Yes? So, how do we decide that Janet does the mm. right though, okay, without bringing in Brenda Bay or ah. making them want to pay All right, so I'm going to spin it. I'm going to spin it this way. One way, you could answer the, one way you could answer the question, what price do they owe, is what do I think I should do to get revenge? But, yes. That, that is actually part of taking, figuring out the price. If I were going to make them suffer for what they did, and I would actually feel better about them if they suffered this way, if I got my revenge, if I got my pound of flesh, Ah, we're getting there, but that is the price owed. And uh, all right, so you're skipping ahead of me like four steps. But let's okay, let's just go there. All right, we do. All right, I love it. I love it. So, all right, the question she asked was, how do we figure out the price owed without getting into areas like, uh, uh, without getting into areas of revenge, uh, without getting into areas of wanting them to suffer? And so my answer is, go there. Figure out what you need to do to get revenge. Figure out how much you want them to suffer. That's actually necessary to forgive them. Because then you're going to have to choose to never enact that. Because, as she said, as Romans 12 says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But here's the thing. If God is real but Jesus isn't, if God is the blind watchmaker and we're in charge of getting justice, revenge is exactly what we should go try and get. Right? Revenge is the right response if Jesus isn't real. The whole point of vengeance is mine, says the Lord, is that we are trusting God with justice rather than taking it into our own. And not justice is probably the wrong word, because we can still have justice with forgiveness and consequences, but Right, but, but go with what I mean while I figure out the right vocabulary. Uh, right, uh, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, is the only thing that gives us comfort that there can be justice without us going out and getting it ourselves. But that means actually asking the question, what would I do to get revenge? How should they suffer if I were going to be okay with them again? Is the right question to ask. Oh, well, then we still have some work to do. And now there could be two possibilities. There's probably more than two possibilities, but there's two that come to my mind immediately. One is, you're not done forgiving them yet. So, sorry, the question is, what if I'm still not okay with it afterwards? First of all, apparently you didn't figure out... So there, there's three possibilities. (laughs) Possibility number one, you didn't name a harsh enough price. Because you should have named a price, you'd, still, you'd be okay with them afterwards. Which is tied in to possibility number two, you're not done forgiving them yet. Uh, and then, of course, there's 
Possibility number three, you have forgiven them, but they're not repentant, and so there is not reconciliation. So, spectrum of possibilities uh, within that. Okay, there's... (laughs) Not yet. We'll keep them coming. This is good. Um, It's more entertaining to watch me struggle, I think. And by the way, guys, uh, you guys know I was an entertainer for a decade for a living, right? I can't help it. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> so that that was that was asking that was like sorry I spilled my coffee, not sorry I sinned against you. Okay. <laughs> um. So uh, it, it is okay to say that someone has hurt you and that that it is wrong, right? The psalmist does it. Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life from dread of the enemy and hide me from the secret plots of those wicked people, from that throng of evildoers who wet their tongues like swords and aim bitter words like arrows at me, shooting from ambush at the blameless, shooting at us suddenly and without fear, right? The psalmist is crying out to God saying, Lord, they're hurting me. And that's a good prayer. Lord, they're hurting me. Uh, And then... So we see how that damage has, uh, you know, how that damage has led you to sin, right? Uh, I skipped some stuff, but we be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Name the damage done to you and to your soul by their sin uh, and the price they ought to have to pay to make it right. Because until you know the price they owe, you can't forgive the price. Any other, any other questions about? Step two, acknowledge the damage and take account. All right. We're not going to get through all six steps. It's okay. Uh, uh, It's not sinful to be angry. I've already said that, right? Uh, Psalm 137, Lord, blessed would be the one who takes their little babies and dashes their head on the rocks. That's, That's a prayer we're taught to pray in the Bible. That's Psalm 137, verse 9. Uh, but do not take revenge Romans 12 verse 19 uh, uh, beloved never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord see I told you it was just one slide over uh, alright so no other questions step 3 confess your sins that have come out of that damage Right. this is the one that flips the script a little bit because we stop thinking about what they've done to us and we start thinking about ourselves from it and right this this is matthew 7 deal with the plank in your own eye before you deal with the speck in your brother's eye now remember all the complications in gray areas if let's just go extreme if someone has sexually abused you this is not matthew 7 time This is call the police and call elders and get away time, okay? That that is a whole different can of tuna than a normal set of offenses that we're not calling the cops about. There's sin and then there's crime. And the two overlap, but one gets dealt with immediately by authorities and one can wait a minute. If you are going to be physically harmed or significantly emotionally harmed, what does that mean? I don't know. We'll work that out later. If you're going to be physically harmed or significantly emotionally harmed, that is not time to stop and have a philosophical think about whether or not you've taken the plank out of your own eye. That's time to get out of there, okay? So, having dealt with that, uh, let's... Let's talk about confessing your sin that comes out of that damage. Now, the DACA report says, Scripture is clear. The offending party, not the offended, is responsible for repentance. All right? So that means you are not responsible for getting the people that sinned against you to repent. But let's, right, hurt people hurt people. Meaning we do respond sinfully to being sinned against. And just as it is their duty to repent of their sin, it is our duty to repent of 
even sinful ways we responded to their sin against us. And so we have to ask questions like, where have I responded sinfully to the way I was sinned against? She yelled at me, I yelled back. I mean, if you're Italian, maybe yelling's just normal. But for most of us, if you yelled back, you were also sinning. So, but that's the only way I was going to get heard. Well, maybe. I, I, I always want to leave a gray area, but I'm going to lean on the side of, nah, you were sinning too. Uh, where have you hurt others because you were hurt? Right? These are, where have we not trusted God or other people because of how we were hurt? Where have I sinned because of my pain? And what idols have I run to in order to comfort my own heart? Right? So all of these questions have to do with our response to being sinned against. But they actually have to do with sins we committed that we are responsible for. Remember? Um... So, uh, I, I said this last week, you know, mental health is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. We can sort of Christianize that a little bit with uh, the ways you were sinned against are not your fault, but the ways you sin in response to that are your responsibility. But there is going to be some measure in which you go, no, I was sinning in response to what they did. They ought to have to make it right. And there's a weird nexus of, well, yes and no. I mean, you're responsible for your sin, but you are right. You probably wouldn't have done that if they hadn't done what they did first. But that was still in your heart. So the sin was there. Just deeper sin of your heart has been exposed. right? So you see this weird nexus of back and forth. Uh, yes, they cause, caused your sin, but no, they didn't cause your sin. That sin was already in your heart. So back and forth the question goes. Uh, and you've got to figure that stuff out. Uh, because all those ways you have sinned are ways that you sinned uh, in response to being sinned against. And we need to repent, confess and repent of our sins specifically. Now, are they responses to someone else's sin? Yep, they sure are. Uh, in the cases of abuse and trauma, are they a part of brokenness, right? So the, the guys that have worked with that in the room know that there's just this whole wild thing about, well, I think about when I was working with all the guys in the rehab, well, okay, yeah, they were using drugs, but they grew up in a house full of drugs, and yeah, they're sexually promiscuous, but they were also fondled by all their brothers every night, right? Like, whoa. So they're, being, they're now being promiscuous as sin, because all sex outside of marriage is sinful. But I can't wholly lay that on them, because the way they were traumatized means that there is just some sheer brokenness that is a mixture of sin and their own identity just being utterly stripped away by evil. And we have to deal with both of those. Do they need to confess and repent? Of, I'm going with, with this case because I have a person's face in my head. right? Do they need to confess and repent of their promiscuity and stop sleeping around? Yes. Do they need to heal from the ways they were taught to be that way and relearn a new set of things? Yes. It's both. It's nature and nurture. It's heart and environment. Both are true. And I just, I got wound up about this because I hear people try and make it one or the other. Let's just be honest. People on the left want to make it environment and all, and people on the right want to make it the heart. And they're just both wrong. Because the biblical answer is it's both. So, uh, is it still sin then? I've already said yes, it is still sin. But it's more complicated. 
because hurt people hurt people, but no amount of sin against us ever justifies our own sin. So it's both and. Um, <clears throat> but th- we have to go through this process and deal with our sins before we can forgive someone else because of Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Judge not that you be not judged. And th- by the way, this is, if you ever want to make someone mad, because they'll, they'll quote Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. See, Jesus says don't be judgmental. All you have to do is be, open up a Bible and be like, but, but then he teaches us to judge. Right? He, Jesus literally opens his teaching on how to judge with judge not that you not be judged. So whatever he's teaching here, it's not don't judge. It's judge rightly. Judge with grace. Judge with mercy. Oh wait, Pastor Mike said something two weeks ago about mercy triumphs over judgment. Right? So judge not that you not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Mercy triumphs over judgment. But why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your eye? Right? Jesus was a carpenter for a living. Logs are big, heavy things. They look like trees. For those of you that don't know what a log is, I don't know. Uh, specks are little bits of dust. If you ever, if you ever used like a, a saw, like a blade saw or something, and not worn safety goggles, I'm surprised you're not blind. First of all, uh, but second of all, right? That's a bad idea. That's stupid. Don't do that. Um, did you just call me stupid? Yeah. Wear safety goggles, dagnabbit. <laughs> anyway. Uh, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Right. So the big point that Jesus is making here is you've got to deal with the sin in your life before you can deal with the sin in another person's life. Now this is especially in reconciliation. And again, there's obviously some gray, soupy area. None of us have dealt with all the sin in our lives, or we would be perfect already. So we, we got to... There's a little words down there. Uh, <laughs> right, um, right you, you've got to deal with the sin in your own life before you can confront someone else about their sin. But it's not an absolute, because if it was, none of us would ever confront anyone. So we have to use some wisdom and not be nonsensical about this. Uh, But uh, you need to at least have dealt with the significantly large sins in your life that are directly related to the ways you've been sinned against before you're in a good spot to forgive or confront. Okay, So I'll say that again. You've got to, at least at some level, have dealt with the big sins in your life that are directly related to the ways you've been sinned against before you're ready to either forgive or confront. And not to mention, it begins the healing process and moves you forward. Uh, Any other uh, questions about confess your sins that have come out of that damage before we talk? So step four will be real fast. And then we can, we'll pick up with step five next week. Uh, It's the next verse. Uh, Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot uh, and uh, and turn to attack you. Which basically is, uh, it's wisdom, right? If someone is not going to receive you confronting them well, if someone is just going to reject you or hurt you, if you confront them, don't bother. If, some, if, if someone is going to like... All right, everyone loves that. If someone puts a gun to your head, will you still confess Jesus? If someone's going to put a gun to your head, don't go talk to them about Jesus. Don't cast your pearls before swine. And I'm like Mr. Evangelism, so I feel like I get to roll with that, right? Um, all right. That being said, any... Uh, so that, that's the first three uh, steps. That's good. We're halfway through the steps. 
Uh, we'll pick up with the steps next week, the next one being repent of said sin, which is a short point. But any last questions before I pray us to worship? Uh, Father, we ask that by your grace and mercy, uh, we would continue to grow in our understanding of forgiveness, uh, but that also we would uh, now enter into your assembly and be absolutely showered in your forgiveness and your love for us uh, as we hear your word, as we worship you, as we take the body of Christ broken for us and the blood of Christ shed for us, uh, as we take the very gospel itself into our hearts, souls, and bodies. Uh, Would you help us learn to forgive others as we have been forgiven? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.